0: you guys are here today. Uh, we're, we're in a series uh, called Landmines, and uh, while the last couple of weeks have really uh, been a little on the edge, today is going to be uh, a, little more, a little more tame, hopefully, and we're going to talk about some real things and some truthful things, but I want to start with a little bit of confession, because I think that that is important. Uh, our staff left this last Monday for a conference, and we got back on, uh, on Thursday night. Uh, So this sermon only got prepared on Friday, which I don't like to do. Uh, But there's something very powerful about coming to church on a Sunday morning knowing that this is not the best sermon you're ever going to preach. And so today, I'm expecting words of disappointment when I leave. I'm expecting some head shakes, uh, people saying, we love you. Uh, Today was just not your day. If you chose to visit today, uh, thanks for coming. We can make some great recommendations of churches in where pastors are prepared, <laughs> and uh, you can probably go, uh, go and do that. But uh, this series was designed so that we would talk about real things and talk about truthful things and, and really kind of, kind of share this journey together. Today we're going to talk about two landmines, the landmines of judgment and pride. Now, these are things that everybody in this room struggles with. At some, in some way or another, and I am by no means qualified to tell you about how to appropriately talk about judgment and pride, uh, but I'm going to do my best today, and maybe we'll learn something together. We're going to start by talking about judging. Now, judging is, is kind of one of those words that we have assigned negative value in our world. What is the number one thing people say to each other in regard to judgment? When you say something to them, they'll say what? Stop judging me. Okay? This is what we have, have learned. This is what we are conditioned to say. That we live in a world where we say judgment is an inherently negative thing. One of the myths is this, that judgment is negative. Just think about the word that we use, judge. A judge sits in a courtroom and allows both sides to present their case, and presides over that. And whatever is decided, if, if there's not enough evidence against the person, then there's one outcome. If there is enough evidence, they are the people that allow that to happen. But we've told people, listen, any kind of judgment is negative. The word judge really means leader. We have an entire book in the Old Testament called the Book of the Judges. And there's 15-16 stories there that talk about how people make mistakes, the people of Israel make mistakes, and a judge is ra- raised up to help them get rid of whatever's causing them to now be in slavery with another nation and lead them back to the Lord. Those people <coughs> are positive people. They are leaders. If you go to Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, it says words like this, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute, or those who are weak might be a different word. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Uh, when, when Solomon writes these words in Proverbs, he is saying there is a point where we have to judge, where we have to try and do that on behalf of others. Maybe another myth that you've heard is this. Judging is un-Christian. You're a Christian. How can you judge me? It comes from a poor reading of Scripture. Because every single one of us makes a thousand judgments a day, many of which we don't even realize. You're making a judgment about why I chose to wear these pants today. And all I can say to you, stop judging me, okay? Okay. We're in church. You have to love the parents, right? But we but we bought into the lie that says if you're a Christian, you can't judge. You can't discern between things. Let me tell you, let me tell you some truths here today. A feeling of judgment. If you feel judged, if you feel judged, it's usually based on a sense of insecurity or a sense of guilt. When we feel judged, it's always that soft underbelly that we hope nobody would see in us. And it's usually an area of our lives that we already struggle with. Don't you find that when people tell you something that you really don't struggle with, it really doesn't bother you? It's only the things that they hit a nerve that really get your attention. And that is because here's another truth. Judgment reveals truth. Judgment doesn't create truth. It reveals it. It says, hey, I'm noticing there's something in your life here that's going on, or there's something in my life going on, and it's an area that I'd rather close the door and leave off to the side. But when somebody says, hey, I feel like you're, you're a little angry, or I feel like you're this, or I feel like... It, it often reveals who we are. And we thought we were hiding so well, didn't we? And now somebody says, hey, this is something that I see in you. I will tell you as well, that judgmental people have an insecure spirit. Because it is far easier to judge someone else than it is to be reflective on ourselves. And every one of us struggles with this. We would always rather project onto somebody else rather than look at our own lives and say, hey, I need to figure this out. Now, what we're gonna look at today, we're gonna look at a few main texts. I'm gonna quote a few others in between that's gonna hopefully bring this all together. But in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is proclaiming a, it's not really a new truth. It's just an innovative way of telling the truth. Is that, th- that what it, what's happened over time is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, not, they didn't necessarily mean to all the time. Some of the time they did mean to, but some of the time they didn't. And what happened was they created this environment in which they were sitting on the judgment seat and everybody else was always at a disadvantage. And so anytime you would be engaged with them, it, you always felt terrible and bad, kind of like most of us probably did going to church when we were younger. Oh, I've done terrible things, and I don't know if I'm going to heaven, and I'm probably going to hell, and, you know, God, how can God love me in the midst of this? Because we had a very judgmental spirit in the way that we did, th- that we did church. But people that are overly judgmental usually are very insecure. And I'm going to tell you this, and I'm probably going to say this a few times, and you can hate me. This is why social media is, is in my opinion, mostly a bad. I'm not saying there aren't good things, but it's mostly a bad. Because what we do is we follow the most judgmental people. And and we feel reactions. That's why I don't want to get on that, because I don't want to be annoyed or frustrated or or willingly put myself in a position where I have to take sides. Don't you notice that? Everything is about taking sides. If somebody says something, you've got to decide, do I like that or do I dislike that? Do I say something? Do I not? And we live our lives in this defensive posture, just waiting for somebody to make us mad. And that's where judgment begins. That's where the enemy thrives in insecurity. But listen to what Jesus says. We're going to kind of go through. You can read the entire chapter of Matthew 7. But this is how it starts. And this is where it gets the bad rap. This is Jesus. And he says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. Well, there it is. If you're a Christian, you can't judge people. And this is the verse that people love to quote. The Bible, even Jesus says, you shouldn't judge me. Yeah, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is throwing out the long ball. To say, in a perfect world, we would not live in a place of judgment. And one day, when God's kingdom is fully realized, we will not live in a place of judgment anymore because we will see ourselves properly and we will see him properly. Jesus is throwing out the big idea first because then he contradicts himself immediately. Don't judge or you'll be judged. And then he says, because the way that you judge, (laughs) you're going to do this, but the way that you judge others you will be judged and the measure you use will be measured to you he's saying look you're going to do that but we're going to set up a precedent here whatever you do to everybody else needs to be the same measure that you cover your own life with then drop down to verse six he says do not give dogs what is sacred judgment is sacred what i never heard that in church Judgment is sacred. It's holy ground. We do it carefully. Do not throw pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. What he is saying is this. People that that are not interested don't deserve righteous judgment. Not not that we walk in and say, listen, I'm going to point out five things that are wrong with your life. And it's saying with pigs, pigs will eat anything, but pigs will not eat pearls because they're inedible. So they'll just trample them down. You'll, you'll give them your best. You'll give them a, a, prepared, a prepared word. And then they'll, they'll turn on you. That's what Jesus is saying, all in the context of judgment. Then in verse 7, he continues, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For anyone who asks, receives and anyone who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. If you want to know who you are, God will reveal that to you. Then verse 13, this is all in the context of judgment. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now watch out for clothing. I just, I just want to show you. No, but they're ferocious. By their fruit, you will recognize Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit and bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit and a bad tree cannot bear a, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot wi- uh, bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. It's a judgment passage. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, verse 21, but only those that do the will of my Father. And then Jesus ends the the, the Sermon on the Mount in verse um, 24 with a Sunday school song. Isn't that great? Foolish man, foolish man, right. Remember this song? That's like the worst rendition of that song you've ever seen in church. But you know what I mean. Jesus says, "Whoever takes these words and actually does them, doesn't just intellectualize them, but does. Them. It's like somebody who's building their house on the rock. And just FYI, the rock, according to Matthew. And when you build your house on that, when you build your house on pride and judgment and other things, the house will fall flat because it is not of humility. Here's another word, another truth. Righteousness, or maybe a different word is humility, precedes judgment. W- we have got to be right with God first between us to, to, do, to really talk about these things, to share these things. But there is a place for them, believe it or not, There is a way that we have a story and a narrative that is a part of our lives that we can share with the larger world. But the way that we do that is not through power or knowledge or dominance. It's through humility. It's through quiet righteousness that the Bible talks about. So we're talking about landmines. We're going to come back to judgment in a minute. So landmines, judgment, and then the other side is pride. Uh, We have pride for things. Now, another myth is that pride is bad. If you have pride in your life, that it's bad. So the next time your kids come home with an accomplishment, just tell them nothing. Right? No, I'm proud of you. Okay. There's something different than that. I'm gonna totally brag on her, You're gonna hate me for this, but you know, this last week Haley won an award, only one of four awards in departments at her place of 80 different departments. She won one of those awards for some of the work that she's done this last year, huh? I married well, didn't I? Yeah, much better, right? But, but the reality is, I told her, I said, I said um, did you say she married down, Britt? In the sermon on, Ju- Brit, you are dismissed. <laughs> everybody to boo him on the way out. <laughs> um, but the reality is it's okay to be proud of, of people. It's okay to be, to be proud. To say, hey, I'm so glad you made it into the talent show. You did well on this report card. We should, celebrate, we should celebrate positive moments in our lives and in the lives of people around us. However, the truth is using pride to define us is bad, is negative. If we say, what people think of me is what I think of me, we're entering into a territory where we're handing over the keys of judgment to somebody else, and it's probably not going to go well. We also have another myth that says you should always be self-deprecating. What that means, I should always be like, I'm not worthy, and I'm terrible, and, and I don't do anything right, and, and please love me. This is why I think, again, on social media, people drive me crazy. Well, I just, I'm just getting, I'm just so fat. No, you're beautiful. I just, you know, I'm just having such a hard time. To- no, you're, you're just wonderful. And we, we cover people with false compliments because we've learned that if I say to someone, I'm not great, they will do it for me. And it's a, it's a form of negative affirmation, which is probably the worst kind. If it takes years for somebody to say, hey, your life has mattered to mine, or you did really good here, wait for those moments because they're so much sweeter. But if you just try to seek them all the time, they don't mean as much. Another truth is this. We should see accomplishment in context. It is good to be good at things. God has gifted us, and we are talented and wonderful because we walk with God, and we can do amazing things but we need to see those accomplishments in context. Uh, For those of you parents out there, we need to teach accomplishment in context because there are a bunch of kids that are sore losers because their parents throw fits and throw coolers on the sidelines and basically we've told people this. There's another truth I want you to hear. Pride is not the same as winning. And we've told people we'll only be proud of you if you win. And so we have an entire culture of people that can't lose well. That's why we can't have a conversation with some people because they just will not hear it. Now, millennials and Gen Z, which are probably you know younger than most of than most of the people here, if they were born in you know, 1995 and onwards. They cannot hear words of criticism because they've been told their whole lives how awesome they are and they go and work and after the first year they get a bad job review and they look at their boss and they say, it can't be me, it's got to be you because nobody's ever told me that it could be me and so I need to go and find another job. The average time span that a millennial spends at a job is 1.2 years because they get that first discipline and they can't handle it because they've been told their whole lives Everything does this. We haven't taught them the context of, listen, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And in order to be a good leader, sometimes you have to lose, and you have to lose well. This is why Proverbs 16 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, The message says this uh, in a better way as well. It says, first pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. And we have a lot of people who are falling and they don't know why they're falling because nobody stopped and took a moment and said, listen, you are good at some things and you are really not good at some things. And we're going to celebrate what you're good at and we're going to try to make you the best we can with what you're not good at. But life is going to be about rhythm. You're not always going to get first place. Don't even get me started on participation awards. Because that's where that, that's where that goes, even in church. God convicts us to live it. Proverbs eleven and verse two says, "When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes disgrace. pride." Must be tempered by humility. Tempered is a word that we use where we get the word temperature. What First Peter talks about being refined by fire. Not being refined by kitty cats. It's refined by fire. That when we go into anything in our lives and we say, listen, I might need to change something about me and I need eyes to see that. And I'm gonna do my best to bring my best heart to something. Then you can be proud in common. But here's the monster landmine today. The monster landmine is prideful judgment. Prideful judgment. When pride and judgment join forces. Destruction is the only outcome. And most times, that is self-destruction. I want to read you a story where pride and judgment go crazy. Just like we were in Matthew 7, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. This is a story about Jesus. It says this. There's one of the Pharisees who invited Jesus to dinner with him. And so he went to the Pharisee's house and they sat down, and they had a meal. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life, okay, it's it's acknowledged. She's probably not a great person, or at least hasn't made great choices. Learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee, named Simon, who had invited Jesus to the house, he said, listen, if this guy were a prophet, <laughs> he would know who was touching him and just what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You, you hear the judgment in his heart. Jesus says, hey, Simon, I've got a story to tell you, which is what Jesus does. Tell me, teacher, Two people owned a certain money lender, money. One owed him 500 the other 50 Neither one of them could pay it back. So he forgave both of the debts. Which one of them would love him more? Well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And then Jesus says, you have judged, correct he's, he's, he's done what, what Nathan did to David. There was a man, had a lot of sheep, no sheep. And then the man with the lot took the one with the little and killed it and gave it to his audience and who's, and David's like, Oh, this man, this, this, you know, and he says, It's you. He allows Simon to do that. Jesus then turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Do you see her? his version of her that he wanted her to be, that he maybe even needed her to be. Because the worse she was, the better he was. The more sin she had in her life, he thought the less he had in him. Jesus said it quite simply, neither one of them could pay it back. The forgiveness that God has poured out, the grace that God has given can never be poured back, can never be paid back. Both of them are wrong. At least one of them knows it. Do you, do you see her? Because if you see her, guess who else you'd see? <laughs> you see you. The truth is that pride and judgment find balance through humility. They find balance when, when they're seen in light of what they really are. This is why when Paul writes to the Philippian church, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Looking not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. What Paul is telling this church, he's saying, If God is first and everybody else is second... You'll stop worrying about how good you are and you'll start to get your focus right and you'll know that you're at the end of the line. And after you have started with God and after you've seen it through the lens of others, it's going to change the way that you see yourself. Because I believe, and maybe this is an overstatement, that all sin is prideful judgment. Uh, maybe, Maybe not all, maybe most of them. When we feel like I'm justified in doing this and I feel that this is okay or even if we play the card no matter what I do God will forgive me we have a prideful heart when we do these things. and what we also learn from scripture is that all redemption begins with humility all redemption starts by us recognizing who we are in God's sight listen if you look at the world we're doing great look according to God we're doing great but not because we are great we're doing great because this is what James says which is powerful James 4 beginning in verse 7 he says submit yourselves then to God resist the devil Resist pride and judgment, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. You make that step, he will meet you. He will match your steps. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself. Uh, Somebody said this years ago. Uh, I wish I had thought of it first. He says, when we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. When we lift ourselves up, God will humble us. We live in a world that says you take your pride and your judgment and you position yourself in the best possible spot. And what James says is that's not going to end well. I hear a lot of comments from people and maybe even at times I've made them. I should be here. I should be doing, I deserve to be paid. I deserve the title of And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. I'm going to stand on anybody I need to stand on. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to force my way into where I believe I deserve to be. James says, no. You focus on God. You focus on others. You focus on you. Let God worry about you. It will not define you when you get it, you will know that he gave it to you as a good gift, rather than you taking it out of selfish, judgmental pride. This morning you walked in and we, we have some of these little uh, communion things. We, we try to do communion the first Sunday collectively. We always offer it, but we try to do it together. And there's so much genius in this. So much simplicity in this. I love that it's small. I love that it's so overwhelmingly simple and yet so powerful. See, when we take communion, the Bible tells us that this is a time where we repent of sin, where we examine our hearts. Where am I at? Where am I at with you, God? Am I doing what I should be doing? Am I engaging your story? It's accepting humility. Listen, humility for us came out of the humiliation of Jesus. But we get to see ourselves in the right balance. And in the midst of this, I know that taking this bread and this juice is not saving us. It's a symbol. But it reminds us of the price that was paid so we don't have to live like the rest of the world. And maybe when we start with this it changes the way that we see that annoying person at work or the faults that we find with our spouses. It helps us to see our lives in context. It doesn't mean that you can never have that conversation with someone. It just means that you start in a different place. Once we have repented and accepted humility and find redemption, we are in communion with God. And when we are in communion with God, it changes the way that we live. This may not have been a good sermon, in my opinion, but this is. This is the best one. Probably should have just started with this. love of God, the sacrifice of God, the willingness of God, poured out in our lives. Living. Today, we're going to just take a moment, when you're ready, you can share in the Lord's Supper. We're going to have some people up here. Maybe you need to repent of something. Maybe you're, you're judgmental. Maybe you're filled with pride and accomplishment. Maybe you just need to lay something down and say, I've defined my life by God's terms, and it's not working well. And I don't even know what I need to pray for. I just need to pray that God would shape me and form me. Start with this. Start with brokenness, body and blood. And in that moment of accepting Christ's brokenness, we recognize our own. We start from here. It's not going to be all fixed by the time you walk out, I promise. Let us share in brokenness today that, so that we might find life. Father, this morning as we just take a moment to be reflective. God, maybe maybe today we just we need to lay something down. Maybe we've been carrying it for a long time. Maybe we're, we're just tired. Maybe we've, we look in the mirror and we don't like what we see because we see an ugliness. We see a person that has no love and no grace towards the world. I pray that today, that we would just take a breath and know that it's going to be okay. That you're going to lead us and guide us. God, if we need to privately lay something down, maybe we're just struggling and we don't know how to do that. And God, maybe we just need to go to somebody and say, I just need you to pray that I could lay something down. And as we share the body and the blood, done everything.